Welcome to Job Title, where we dive into exactly that, the stories and experiences of all kinds of people with all kinds of job titles. This week, I have a conversation with Cindy Krause, a music therapist at a nonprofit organization serving children. Cindy has a huge heart for giving and gets to work in an environment that helps kids be nurtured. Her interest in this field of music therapy started after a job shadow in high school, and after experiencing different types of music therapy through internships, the job that ended up being a wonderful fit came about at just the right time. We'll discuss more about what it takes to become a music therapist, the daily life of creating, carrying out, and charting different sessions, and the type of community Cindy gets to work in. Listen now for a window into this job title. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. This is Heidi Nykamp, your host of Job Title, and I am joined today by one of my college roommates. Cindy and I were next-door neighbors in our honors dorm first and then became roommates next year, and I'm really excited to have her on today to share about her job title, so thanks for being here, Cindy. I'm so excited, Heidi. Thank you for having me on here. Uh, I'm so happy that we get to sit down and chat. Um, Tradition here is to start out with that childhood dream job. So I'll ask you that question. What was your answer to that childhood question? What do you want to be when you grow up? I flip-flopped quite a bit between either being a nurse like my mom, because I wanted to help people. But I think then I realized how much like blood and gross stuff that that would entail. And I really liked boss bossing people around. So then I decided I wanted to be the first female president of the United States, <laughs> which I guess is still up for grabs. So who knows? Yeah, <laughs> you, it still could happen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I love that. Like you are totally a caring person. So I could see that side of it. And you're also a go-getter. So I can see <laughs> the, the wanting to be the president side of things too. Uh, so you aren't either of those. No, I, mean, I am not. Not currently. <laughs> what is your job title now? I am a music therapist. So there's lots of different types of therapy and interventions. And some people might know about certain types and maybe not about music therapy. What would be your elevator pitch of what your job is? Yeah. Um, great question. A lot of people, um, know about speech therapy, occupational therapy, play therapy, um, music therapy kind of blends a lot of those different disciplines. So music therapy is the evidence-based use of music to achieve non-musical goals. And we can work with clients from womb to tomb, as we say. So anywhere from like babies in the NICU to nursing homes, um, as well as what I do in early childhood. And the goals kind of look different in each different population, a lot of it is working with an individual or a group, but then can also be um, an auxiliary support for those support systems. So like in a hospital setting um, where I did my internship with kids, I would have the child as the client, but then I would also provide a lot of support to the parent too. So it's a good blend of using music to achieve those goals, but also getting to build relationships and communicate and connect with people. Yeah, that's really cool. Cool. So one more time, where do you work? What's the environment? 
Yeah, so I work in an early childhood education center. So we serve kiddos um, from zero to five, and we also have a school age program and a middle school and high school program, which we just um, expanded to, which is really cool. And I primarily see the kids that are ages zero to five, but sometimes I do groups with the kindergartners and the first graders too. Gotcha. Is that type of setting common for a music therapist in different early childhood centers? Somewhat. I think a lot of music therapists that work in early childhood are their own independent contractors. So they have their own business and they go to a bunch of different places. What I like about being the music therapist in this one center is I get to A, not travel a bunch of places with very large instruments. And I also get to build relationships with the community. Um, I've been there for five years now, and I've noticed that each year I just get to know people a little bit deeper and then also get to build relationships, not just with the teachers and the other therapists and staff there and the kids, but I also get to know the parents and then maybe the parent will have another child and then I get to continue the relationship. So it's cool to be planted in one space and, and really be a part of the community. Yeah. That's a really nice aspect of your job. Like when you have the consistency and community that you get to invest into and be invested into by them as well. That's really cool. What, what other environments might a music therapist work in? You mentioned a hospital or a nursing care center Mm -hmm. or a nursing home. Are there other examples of places a music therapist might work? Yeah. Music therapy has really grown over the years. Um, It's actually been around since World War II. um, And it was first used with veterans who were suffering from what we now know as PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And so that was one of the first disciplines that uh, music therapists worked in. But now it's really, really expanded. So some music therapists work in a psychiatric center or do outpatient therapy. Um, Some do wellness. So like how, you know, anybody could just go find a counselor or a therapist. Um, They do wellness care like that. There are music therapists in nursing homes. There are music therapists working in schools, music therapists working with kiddos that are on an individualized education plan or an individualized family services plan, which I'm sure you're familiar with with education. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so school-based music therapists, children's hospitals, adult hospitals, hospice care, palliative care. They're actually starting to research more music therapy for pregnant moms, which is really cool. So prenatal care, as -hmm. well as music therapy in labor and delivery. Um, So there's really a broad range, um, which is nice because I knew for sure I didn't want to work with older people, but knew like, okay, kids would be really cool. Um, But I also kind of want to work with adults. So it's nice to find like a little blend. Yeah. I did not realize how expansive music therapy was and that it reaches so many people, but it kind of makes sense because for the most part, everyone can relate to music on some level. For sure. So that makes a lot of sense why it it is useful in all of those different settings. Yeah. Yeah. And it just is a connector, I think, for a lot of people. Um, A lot of people say music is a universal language and uh, whether or not you believe that, I think we all have different pieces of music that affect us, whether that's emotionally or physically or mentally. And I think it's cool to see how that can be applied to so many different therapeutic goals um, within that therapist-client relationship. Yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. I love that. 
what does it take educationally speaking to become a music music therapist? So music therapy is bachelor level entry. So that means that we can have a bachelor's degree and um, then sit for our boards. Um, the bachelor's degree does include a lot of training. So um, at Evansville, we did a four-year degree as well as six semesters of practicum, which is where we go out in the community with a practicing music therapist and then get to practice doing some different interventions or songs or activities and kind of see what like population we like to work with as well as just kind of see if music therapy is for us. And then once you're done with school, um, I walked at graduation in May of 2017, but then didn't actually get my diploma until I completed my internship. So in May of 2017, I moved out to Kansas City and did my six-month internship. Most of those internships are unpaid, which is unfortunate, mm -hmm. uh, but just kind of par for the course. And then once you finish that, then you sit for a board exam. It's about four hours long, um, not as scary as a lot of people make it out to be, but then you have the credentials, music therapist, board certified, MTBC. Gotcha. How did you find those internships or was it something that the university helped set up for you? So I was a part of, I still am a part of American Music Therapy Association and they had some national roster internships. And so I just kind of looked into what area I wanted to work in and um, as well as what population. And it really interested me to work in children's hospitals. And so I found a couple um, and applied and then ended up getting my first choice, which was cool. And then professors helped too. Um, I also talked to some alum that I stayed in close contact with, which I think is a big tip for any college college student is to just Absolutely. network with not just with people in your own grade, but also people that are older than you, younger than you, because you guys are going to be connectors for each other once you get mm -hmm. out in the real world. And so I talked with one girl who had done her internship at the hospital out here in Kansas city and just talked really, really highly of it. And so it made me really excited when I got it. Oh, that's really cool. So I like that you mentioned being a part of a society. Is that correct? association. Yeah. Association. Okay. That is a really big part of the professional world and yes. a good thing to learn about kind of as soon as you can when you're yes. in a field. So that, thank you for mentioning that. Did you have a hard time picking what school to go to or how did you land on going to Evansville? I looked at a few different schools and once I learned that I wanted to do music therapy, that really narrowed down my school choices because there aren't a whole lot of music therapy programs um, in the States. And I specifically wanted to stay somewhat close to home, but not so close that my parents could like knock, knock, knock on my dorm room door. And so it was really between Evansville and University of Louisville for me. And I really liked the professors and the campus and just the, I don't know, like the vibes or the theories that the music therapy professors were talking about at Evansville really felt like it kind of went along with my own values and beliefs about music. And I remember once I went to campus and got a tour and talked with one of the professors, I was like, oh yeah, this is it. This is where I want to go. And it was a mm -hmm. nice distance from home too. It wasn't super close to home, but was just a nice enough driveway. Yeah. How did you land on music therapy? Like, did you have some pivotal experiences in high school early on that led you towards deciding to major in music therapy? 
Yeah, I did, which is really cool. I always thought that I was going to do musical theater or be a performer. Um, I was really into Taylor Swift growing up, and she's <laughs> she's why I bought a guitar. So thanks, T-Swizzle. Um, and then I started realizing, like, okay, I don't just want to be on a stage all day. I want to do something to make a difference, to help people. I was seeing my mom, who is a nurse, um, retired now, but was seeing her just make such a huge difference in people's lives through kind of small things, it seemed like, and remember having just like a want for that. I went to an all-girls Catholic school, and we had a really, really cool service program our sophomore year, where for 10 weeks, we went, I think it was from like 8.30 a.m. until like 2 p.m., so the majority of the school day, which was pretty sick deal, um, and we went <laughs> to a different agency within um, Louisville and the surrounding areas, and so I got to go to an adult day center with for adults with dementia. And I remember going and there was this one woman who couldn't really speak. She just said a couple of different syllables. She would go, hey, ha, hey, ha, hey, ha, hey, ha, like kind of change her inflection, but just use those syllables. And then they would do kind of a little like circle time or morning meeting every morning. And they would sing Jesus loves me. And this woman belted out the words to Jesus loves me. Like if you'd never heard that that song before, you would know what she was saying because of how oh, wow. clearly enunciating, like or how clearly she enunciated. And I was like, whoa, okay, this woman can't speak, but she can sing. And I remember going home that day and just Googling music and talking music and singing and then somehow stumbled upon music therapy and job shout out a music therapist who worked in um, rehabilitation in a hospital and went and I was like yep that's it it blends my love of music and it blends almost a performance aspect because you're having to learn new songs and um, write songs and do the things that I'm really passionate about within music but then really applying it to a goal and applying it to help someone which was mm -hmm. cool that's so cool to have that really standout experience yeah. that kind of, I mean, it changed your life for sure. Yeah. Discovering this field that you didn't yeah. know existed because of an internship through yes. high school. I think that's amazing. That yeah. part of having a, a high school where you were required to go out into the community and have these types of experiences. Yeah. I wish that was more common because that's really, Me too. it can be transformative. Yeah. Like it was and for I you. think I was not the only girl who realized what they wanted to do through that experience, Wow, which is really cool. And looking back, I'm like, oh, was that kind of a little sneaky mm -hmm. <laughs> purpose for them too, as they knew that some people would really enjoy where they were going and then would go into that field. It was cool. Yeah, that is really cool. Wow. So were there any other types of things that kind of directed you towards music therapy or your love of music? What kinds of things did you have to do to like get prepared mm -hmm. to go into music therapy? That's a good question. Growing up, I loved music. I would sing around the house and started to teach myself piano when I was little and then was really interested, like I said, in guitar because of Taylor Swift. Um, so if Taylor Swift wouldn't have happened, who knows? <laughs> I'd be a the music Swifties, therapist. all the Swifties. <laughs> <I know. laughs> 
And I didn't realize it then, but now I'm really grateful that my parents put me in piano lessons. They put me in voice lessons. They let me do theater throughout high school. Um, I took guitar lessons and then also just would like noodle around on my guitar, the piano and kind of make up songs and learn new skills through it. And I'm really, really grateful because I'm seeing how that all really, especially in college where it was so intense with how much we had to practice every day and all the new skills that we were being, um, that were being thrown at us so quickly. Um, so I'm really grateful for that. And then also I think a big experience that is helping me now working as an early childhood music therapist was doing theater in high school. I really did not think that those, like you wouldn't think that those two things match up, but with kids, you have to be so like, expressive and bright and big and to get their attention and even do silly voices or animal sounds or silly things to get their attention and to help them like just play and have fun. Mm -hmm. And I really learned that through theater of making things kind of big and being a little goofy, but getting to still be me and my authentic self. And I'm seeing that a lot now working with kids, which is cool. Yeah. You get to let your guard down and be silly and also kind of perform. Like a little you bit, said, yeah. with that theater aspect of everything. Yeah. And it that's so fun to be able to blend pits of your history together yeah. into, into your job now. Yes. Yeah. Which sounds like it is a lot of fun. Before we get into all of the, the nitty gritty, how did you find your current job? I actually had been looking for a job for about five months after my internship ended and was starting to get pretty disheartened because a lot of music therapists do their bachelor's degree, but then some of them go on right after that to get their master's. And I was applying, I think I applied to like 15 jobs and got a couple of interviews out of it. And the interviews that I did get, I got beat out for music therapists with master's degrees, which was really hard for me because I was like, okay, this is bachelor level entry, but I'm not getting these jobs and honestly didn't feel qualified for the jobs that I was getting either. I knew that school was helpful and my experience in the children's hospital was helpful, but just wasn't finding the right fit, if that makes sense. And then in April or May of 2018, I had three different people send me this job. So I had my mother-in-law somehow found it on Indeed or LinkedIn or something. And then my previous supervisor at the children's hospital sent it to me. And then my mother-in-law's friend who worked at the children's hospital also sent it to me. And all three of them said, oh, this would be so cool. That's a great organization. I think you would be a really good fit there. And so then I applied and um, I think it was like four interviews. It was crazy how many interviews we had to do, but I think it's because it's a community-based nonprofit. They really want to make sure they know who they're getting into the role and had kind of changed some things up in the role. And there's a whole new team and all when I came in. So looking back, I'm like, that felt like so many interviews, but now I see the the purpose of it. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's really cool that it was brought to you yeah. by all of these different people after were you searching job boards and everything like LinkedIn and Indeed and all of that? Okay. Yeah. And trying to communicate with some music therapists that I knew in the area, as well as other students of, okay, where are you guys looking? Um, Where are you working? Can I come Mm -hmm. shadow? Like, again, just trying to network. Um, Mm -hmm. I actually did get offered a job 
early that year, but it was in Evansville and I just was not feeling called to go back to Evansville. And I'm glad I stayed because I've been at my job for five years now, which is really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I love how it all worked out, the timing and everything. I know it can be stressful looking for a job and it fell into place as it was meant to. And yeah, yeah. Now we get to learn more about what it is that you actually do. So let's jump into a work day. How does your day start when you go in Monday morning, Mm -hmm. your average work day? What's it like? So I'm one of the early birds in the office. I do my best documentation work and writing in the morning. And so I get in around 730, usually take a couple minutes to just go over my schedule for the day, figure out what classrooms I'm going to, if I have any meetings that day, whether it's with a parent or treatment team. Um, And then I also might do some notes or documentation. So I have to keep documentation on each of my kiddos um, and the sessions that I do, basically just writing down what happened in the session as it applies to their goals, um, which those are goals that I set too. Might be anything like social emotional skills, gross motor skills, fine motor language, things like that. And then around 8.30 or 9, I go and just check in with classrooms. I like to give everybody a greeting. Um, That's a big thing that we're really working on as an agency is a school family, if you will. And go check in with people if a classroom's in crisis or they need some support, I might step in. And then around 9.30, my sessions start. And that's usually until about 12. And for that, I have my own little rolling cart that I roll around and my little guitar on my back and have the instruments and books and lotion and stuffed animals and all the things that I need on that cart and just roll it from class to class and um, do sessions with my toddlers and preschoolers. Then around 12 o'clock, they all eat lunch and they lay down for a nap. So that's my really good time to do meetings and do more documentation, um, as well as just check in with any of my coworkers about a case that maybe we both have or a client we both have that we're working on. And then towards the end of the day is usually when I get a productive spurt of energy. (laughs) So I'll end up getting some more work done at my desk, um, maybe learning a new song or um, making some resources or visuals to use in sessions and then I pack up and go. And what time does the work day end? Around four, four or four. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Nice. So it's a nice eight and a half hour day. Yeah. So you mentioned documentation. Is that like, is that something that the agency has set up for you with the format and everything for reporting? What does that aspect look like? So we all have the same system we use me, the speech therapist, the occupational therapists, child therapists, and behavior interventionists. Um, But we all kind of report things differently. So I got a lot of freedom when I came in to structure my notes how I wanted to. So my notes really go over the overall engagement and um, participation of each child in the group. And then also has their goals, what adults were present, I like to write down what we did in the session, what songs we sang, what activities we did, and then just a brief summary of what happened, especially as related to goals. So if one of our goals is use of language, I'll talk about how Jimmy spoke three to four word sentences in response to a a question from the music therapist. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. What would a session look like? Are kids playing instruments themselves? 
Are you mostly singing songs or what kind of things might happen in a session? A little bit of everything. We try to follow the same flow. So we start with an agreement song where we just go over our agreements, which are to be kind to each other, to take a breath if we need a break, um, and to have fun connecting with each other. And then we do a hello song where we sing hello to every single child, every single adult in the room, which is just a nice way to recognize everybody and tell them that we're grateful that we're, that they're there. Usually by that time they've sat for long enough, which is really only two to three minutes, but they're little, so they can't sit for too long. And at that point they want to get up and moving. And so we do a movement song. Sometimes that has something pretend in it or pretend play like my kids really like the song, The Goldfish by Lori Berkner, where they pretend to be a goldfish and it's just really silly and cute. We also do some instrument play. So the kids really like these big gathering drums that are about as tall as them because they're so little, um, as well as these individual drums. We have shakers that they really like, boom whackers, which are oh. these like hollow. Have you heard of those? I think so. They're like these hollow tubes that are different colors and they each have a different pitch. So you can kind of make a song with them and you just hit them on the ground or hit them okay. together. It's really cool. I only try those with the older kids because I'm <laughs> That's still a little too nervous that the littles <laughs> will hit each other with them. Um, and then as we reach like kind of the peak of the session, we start to try and calm down. My goal is always to leave the kids a little more calm and regulated than I found them, which is easier said than done some days with toddlers and preschoolers. But at the end, we try to do something that's connecting. So we have a bunch of I love you rituals is what we call them that we do. So it might be row, row your boat and you're holding hands with a kid and you're rocking back and forth or having the kids pair up with each other and singing row, row your boat as they rock back and forth. Or it might be the kids sitting on our lap and we bounce them to a song and then sway and then bounce and then sway to give them kind of that sensory input as well as help them calm down. And then we end with our goodbye song, which is usually like a steady beat. It's a good flow and just a nice way to end. Um, mm -hmm. And usually the kids want a hug or a high five or something as they leave too. Oh, fun. That's, it yeah. sounds like a lot of fun to be able to move and both listen to and partake in it the is. music. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah. Lots of singing. How, how long would a single session be? Right now, since it's the beginning of the year, they're much shorter than they will be at the end of the year. So for a two-year-old group, we'll probably do 15 to 20 minutes because that's about all they can, can handle at that point. Mm -hmm. For a three-year-old group, anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes. And then a four-year-old or preschool group would be we're kind of starting them at 20 minutes, but they'll grow to about 45 minutes. Oh, wow. Yeah. They end up like, especially the kids in the groups that really, really like music, they can say sustained attention on it because we're moving so quick in the session. It's not just one thing. It's nine, five minute things or mm -hmm. 10, four minute things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Oh, that's so fun. So you get to work on documentation independently and you're planning your sessions mm -hmm. independently. Are there other things that you might be working on more solo? Yeah. So I supervise an intern. So I try and look for the latest trainings and resources to be a good supervisor to that intern. I do documentation on my own, like you said, plan sessions. 
I might um, learn a new song or write a song on my own as well. I'm trying to think of what else I do. A lot of my work is collaborative, so I don't really feel too alone in the day. <laughs> what kinds of things might you be working on collaboratively then? So within the session, really collaborating with teachers so that they can start learning the songs or learning some strategies that I use so that they, they can use them outside of session to help calm the kids or help the kids learn new skills or developmental, reach developmental milestones. I also meet with the speech therapist, occupational therapist, and play therapist to talk through different cases. And sometimes we co-treat too. So this summer I got to lead a group in the infant room with the occupational therapist, which was really fun. Oh, they were all babies. Yeah, they were all kind of turning one at that point. So they're a little bit older, but it was cool because I got to provide the music and do that aspect of things while the occupational therapist worked on her goals, whether that was like sensory or routines or motor skills. And it feels good to be supported in that. I also get the opportunity to collaborate with the yoga teacher every week. So we lead five sessions together of preschoolers and their preschoolers ages three to five. And with that, we've developed a really, really good partnership and real, honestly, really great friendship in it. She gets some skills from me with music. And then I learned some skills from her with yoga um, and music and yoga just blends so beautifully together. It's mm -hmm. kind of that calming and and also active piece of yoga that's also in music. Um, and the music gets to be kind of a container or a space for the, for the movement too. I also collaborate with teachers. So talking with them about skills and strategies for their kids, as well as any concerns they might be having and get to collaborate with parents some too. Um, as I've developed relationships with parents more, they've started to ask like, Hey, my kid's doing this at home. Is that normal? Or I think my kid might be behind in this. And so just kind of get to point them to different resources as well as potentially meet with them more and more to give them more skills and, and resources as well. Wow. That's really cool that you have the opportunity to work across different therapy methods that might be kind of unique to where yeah. you're working. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think so. I think a lot of hospitals, it seems like do a lot of interdisciplinary and collaborative work. I'm not so sure about some other disciplines too. Of course, like the NICU or things like that, which I guess is part of a hospital. It's more so collaborating with the medical team. Um, but it's really cool because like speech therapy and occupational therapy and play therapy, they all have similar goals as me. But I've got like the music background and the expertise in that, that I can provide to support them. And then they have their background that they can support me and my goals too. That's really awesome to yeah. work collaboratively that way to help all of these kiddos just yeah. grow and develop and regulate and yes. all of the things that can be kind of hard to learn uh -huh. on your own or when you're in an environment that might be challenging. So yeah, it's yeah. a really good that you have to offer all of your training to be able to help these kiddos just continue figuring out who they are. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Do you feel like you have adequate time to work on all of these different pieces of your job in a given day? <laughs> it's funny you asked me that today because today I was there for nine hours and still did not get everything done. <laughs> um, that's really been a lesson I've had to learn, especially in the last two or three years, as it seems like there's more crises with families. There's higher needs for kiddos. 
and there's just more going on and, and more kids that we're seeing, um, which is great that we get to see them and also sad because, you know, the issues of, of poverty and low income and underserved communities is not, feels like it's not improving sometimes as we get more and more kids and that the cycle is just continuing. And so a lesson that I've really had to learn is to manage my time within the day as well as know that not everything's going to get done because it's such a big job. Every single person who works where I work, it's such a big job and we're just not going to be able to do everything in one day. And that's okay. Cause I still have to leave at a reasonable time and eat and rest and take a break if I need to, so that I can keep doing this work and sustain it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It can, it's, it's hard to find that line of making sure you're doing everything you need to do, yes. but not overdoing it and taking yes. it home and letting it weigh you down. Cause yeah. when you're in an environment like that, I remember as a teacher, you, you just have such a heart for wanting everything to yes. be done or be the best it can be. And you also yeah. have to take care of yourself and manage the rest of your life mm-hmm. outside of your job. So yeah, yeah, balancing in a giving type of role is yeah. It's always something to be mindful of. Yeah. And I think we're all human too. So there's going to be days where I'm feeling more productive with notes and documentation and feeling like I can just crank them out. And then there's going to be some days where I'm feeling more creative and can build more interventions and write more songs. Going to be days where I feel more social and able to tackle the hard problems. And then there's going to be days where I need to just take a second and breathe and re-regulate myself, use the skills that I'm teaching these kids for myself because it can be really a lot. Yeah. Do you have a workspace where you can kind of work on the things that you need to, that feels calm, that feels like a, a safe space for you when you need to have those kinds of days? Yeah. So I share an office with the speech and occupational therapy team, as well as my intern. And I like sharing an office because we can really consult with each other on like, Hey, I'm having this problem with this kiddo where I tried this in a session and it didn't really work. What do you think? What would you do as well as just get that support too? If it's a hard day um, to just love each other and, and provide that space for each other to, to debrief. I really like my desk space too. I got a standing desk a couple years ago and I remember when I got it and set it up, I had several coworkers walk by and be like, oh yeah, that makes sense for you to have a standing <laughs> desk. <laughs> because before that, I just had an exercise ball that I sat on because I just couldn't sit in a chair, could not sit in an office chair. And so I like that I can kind of fluctuate between sitting or standing and I my spaces is nice. I have pictures of some of my kiddos on a bulletin board as well as like some pictures of family and friends and then have some artwork on the walls. Um, the canvas that you painted me, I think sophomore year is up there um, that says you only, you can't get harmony if everyone sings the same note, which I really like. And it's yeah. I like that applicable too. and inspirational for my job too. Yeah. There might be some discord, but we can always. Get and that, that was years before you had. I know. <laughs> I know. It's a applicable quote for life, honestly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. It's nice to have that dedicated workspace where you can kind yes. of feel like you can settle in. Yeah. Have things the way that you like it and everything. What does yeah. the classroom look like? Is that what you expect a classroom would look like? 
So for early childhood, it's more of what you would think of for a daycare or something like that. So not necessarily a classroom with desks or chairs everywhere. We work um, somewhat from a Montessori approach. So everything is child-sized. So we have like a little sink at the wall and a little thing of paper towels and a small trash can and um, little tables and chairs instead of high chairs for the kids so that they can really just be little people and that we can kind of get down on their level in their environment. Usually a classroom has some shelves with different toys. They might have different areas of the classroom that are for different play themes like dramatic play or blocks or science. There's usually like an eating area, a diaper changing area for the infant and toddler classrooms. And then usually a carpet where they can gather for their morning meeting or circle time, as well as where we gather for music therapy sessions. Nice. Yeah. Cool. So you have all these different, obviously kiddos that you work with and different colleagues that you work with. How would you describe your overall workplace community? It's supportive and messy, I'd say, are the two words I would use to describe it. Um, We talk a lot on our therapy team about the importance of a repair after a rupture. So a rupture is just any sort of conflict or mismatch where we think we know what the other person's needing and we go for that need or um, maybe we say something that's not so kind or in the wrong tone and then having that repair is very important to us because we want to really model that for our clients and for the kiddos because a lot of these families are coming from either domestic violence or kind of absent parents. Um, The parents themselves had absent parents or just challenging environments that they grew up in, um, growing up around violence. And so we want to really model those skills and model the, the support that we want them to then have for each other and for their kids. And so we talk a lot about rupture and repair and how we get back to attunement and alignment through that repair and through really talking about the conflict and talking about how it made us feel and things that we can do differently next time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a very good community perspective to have. I know that not all workspaces are of that mindset to be so collaborative and Mm -hmm. to really want to model. And you have such uh, an impressionable demographic yeah. of having kiddos in yeah. your presence. So it's so important to do that modeling and it yeah. takes a lot of hard work. Thanks. Yeah. And it's not perfect by any means. Um, and we still get pushback from teachers or from parents or higher up staff as well. And I think that's just part of it. And we try not to force as the therapist, try not to force anything on anybody but just build that relationship and grow in connection with each other so that hopefully at some point they're going to trust us. They're going to listen. They're going to want to build a relationship with us too. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot of the hard work and heart behind everything. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What are some highlights that kind of make your whole job worth it? What's, what's something you really enjoy about your job? I just love the love that the kids show me when a kid get so excited when I come to their door and they say, Miss Cindy. And then they run to the door and give me a hug or um, want to show me the artwork that they did or tell me about their day or tell me about their mom or what happened that morning. That is really, really cool. And I love the connection that I get with the kids. Kids are so easy to connect with because they just want to tell you everything and, and show you who they are and just be seen. 
And I think that's how I tend to be as well as I want to tell people about me and and be seen and be loved. I also really love getting to see kids grow and, and start to use skills. I had one kiddo a few years ago that whenever he would get dropped off, he was just so upset and would just cry for his mom for a while. And I would walk him to class and just kind of sit with him for a little bit and help him calm down and breathe. And honestly, it was more me breathing deeply to hope that he would breathe with me. And I remember one day I just like pointed to his shirt and was like, oh, is that a dinosaur on your shirt? And he like looked down at it and then like looked up at me and I just kept describing what was on his shirt. And he just kind of soaked it in that day. And then a couple of days later, again, came in crying, was really upset to leave his mom. And then he looked down at his shirt and said, hey, look, it's a car or whatever was on his shirt. And then started to use such a simple mindfulness skill, as we would say in adult terms, to help him calm down and, and just redirect. And then we got to get to a place where we could say, hey, mom's going to come back. She comes back every day to pick you up after you play eat lunch and you take a nap and you eat a snack. And so just giving them kind of that routine. And pretty soon after that, the kids stopped crying. When mom would drop him off, he would just give her a hug and say, I love you, mom. I'll see you after nap. <laughs> and just to see that growth and also get to facilitate it with the parent who is so worried to leave their baby who's crying. Yeah. As well as see the kid use skills without me being like, use this skill when you feel sad. Like it was just a natural playful moment that we got to have with each other that then he started incorporating in his own daily life. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. Oh, cool. And you are able to see them go from grade to grade too, which is fun to continue that relationship and just see how they're changing over the years, which is really cool and unique. Yeah. Yeah. I have my first group of babies are now in first grade. Oh, which is wild. It makes you feel so old. <laughs> oh, they change so much in such I a know. short amount of time. <laughs> Seriously. Oh, that's crazy. So do you have any realistic challenges about your job? I know you've mentioned a few of them about the stress of, you know, needing to leave work at work or it's just a challenging environment sometimes with a lot of big feelings. Yeah. Are there other things that are realistically just challenging? Yeah, I say boundaries can be really challenging, which kind of goes into the self-care piece or preventing burnout. Honestly, I tend to be someone who wants to be there when the fire is happening and running to the crisis and want to be the one to help. And I have learned that if I do that every time that I'm not going to be able to keep doing my job for years and years and years, like I want to, And so for me, I've been exploring more how I can set some healthy boundaries, whether that's, you know, where I close my computer for the day and come home and what I do to kind of transition then into home life and just leave work at work, as well as within work, figuring out, okay, what is in my lane? What is my role? And then what is not my role? And how can I kind of guide that other person who's in that role? to seeing it or to just see how I can support with that without it making it mine, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So not biting off more than I can chew because I can also be a promiser of, Mm. oh yeah, I'll do that for you. And then I run out of time, as I said before, not having a whole lot of time and just figuring out how to make my yeses really mean yes. And my Mm nose. Yeah. 
Did you, in going into music therapy, expect that it would have led you down this path to maybe like a broadened worldview of working with a demographic you maybe hadn't with before? Definitely not. I never thought I would work A with kids, which was funny um, because I've always loved kids. But then when I had that um, experience in the children's hospital, I really, really loved working with kids. And I honestly grew up middle class, mainly white neighborhoods and communities. And so to work with mainly families who are minorities from underserved communities has been a really humbling experience for me. It's really opened myself up to knowing more of the injustices and the racial inequity that we have in our country and in the world, and has also helped me check my own implicit biases, which I believe everyone has, no matter how good of a person you are, how caring you are, everybody's got implicit biases that we were Mm -hmm. just, that were just programmed into us basically. Mm -hmm. And especially through 2020, when um, Black Lives Matter was really gaining speed and George Floyd and everything, I really had to reflect on my own actions and words and how they impacted other people, which has been helpful, not just in my job, but in real life too. Cause I think we don't always have the greatest self-awareness, especially related to our skin color, our gender, how we grew up, um, our socioeconomic status. So that's been really interesting to me and, and a really cool experience. Cause I feel like this job has not just grown me as a music therapist, but as a human being. And it makes sense. You spend so much time there. They become your second family. You want to care for them and feel part of that community. So learning how to do that in a way that is respectful and of whatever understanding you can gain to just be a part of it. Yeah, for sure. Do you have any advice for someone who might be considering music therapy, wanting to redirect their career? What does it take? you have to know how to play the guitar and piano (laughs) and sing. What are those requirements? Yeah. So all music therapists are required to take piano, guitar, and voice at some point in their college career. So start practicing now. You might use some more than the other. Like I hardly ever play piano at work, but it is helpful if I'm learning a new song. So I would say definitely start practicing and start that as playing songs that you like or singing songs that you like, because as you grow in music therapy, you'll, you know, get classically trained most likely at a university. But then when you're out in the real world, you'll be playing songs that your patients want to hear. So that might be some Beatles for um, an elderly population or might be some Barney or um, (laughs) trying to think Coco Melon for littles. I would also say to shadow a music therapist, that was really helpful to me just to get to see the day in the life of a music therapist and see the impact that they make as well as the really subtle little things that might not feel like they're making an impact, but then you see them as part of the big picture as their role on the treatment team or their role in that client's life. And then that kind of gives more context for how important it is. I Totally agree. If you can shadow someone that Mm -hmm. in an industry that you think you might be interested in, do it. Try. (laughs) Yeah. And just network too. Like you can Mm -hmm. just reach out to a music therapist on LinkedIn or the local music therapy society. You can usually find one in your city or even look on American Music Therapy Association or the certification board for music therapists and just reach out and say, hey, I'm interested in this field. Can we get coffee sometime? And 
I would say nine times out of 10, the music therapist will be so excited to tell you about music therapy because we're always wanting more people to do it and yeah. um, wanting the field to keep growing as it has been. Oh yeah, absolutely. It sounds like a community full of lots of people who just love to care in a way that involves a passion of theirs. Yes. Which is yeah. a really unique thing that you get to do. It's, yeah. it's like, it's different than nursing where there is blood. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's stuff. Like you're not incorporating maybe a gift or a talent like you can with music therapy, which is really cool. Yeah. yeah. Oh, thank you so much for sharing about your job, the good, the the difficult <laughs> advice you have, the journey it took to get there. So before we leave, I always like to ask this question to our guests. What's the best piece of life advice you have received? In light of thinking about working with kids as well as just life in and of itself, my biggest piece of advice is to stay playful. Our world is so serious and there are so many serious pieces of all of our jobs, no matter what it is. And I think keeping a playful spirit um, really helps you stay optimistic and hopeful and even just present in the moment. And so my advice is to stay playful, maybe connect with something that you enjoy doing as a child, and then let that kind of lighten your spirits and, and liven you up, whether that's within your job or when you come home at the end of the day. I love that. I love that so much. It is hard to not take life so seriously. I yes. am very guilty of that. Yep. Um, so thank you for sharing that piece of advice and for sharing about your job and taking the time to have this conversation. Yeah, thanks, Heidi. This is so much fun. We'll talk again soon. Thanks for joining me this week. Being able to share your stories is what I love. We all have different journeys to get to where we are today. Cindy's story provides a window into a work environment that aims to model positive and healthy behaviors and relationships for their community while working within their specific fields to serve these kiddos and their families. It's an awesome blend of talents applicable to real everyday life, and it is so obvious that Cindy cares just so deeply about her job. So if you care about your job and would like to share more about it, please send me an email at Heidi at jobtitlepodcast.com or head to jobtitlepodcast.com for more information. Thanks again. Until next time.